Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. This is the Finding Backcountry Podcast episode. It's actually going to be episode 41. I think, uh, I think I'm going to bump this up because I, I actually just recorded what I called episode 41, and, and these two are within a day or two of each other. And so, um, but as you'll see kind of the relevance of the content here, um, I think we're going to bump this one up because it'll be more valuable to everyone. Um, but I've got, I've got the man, I've got, uh, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, <clears throat> one of the good ones on the line. This is, uh, John Stallone. How you doing, John? Good, man. How you doing? Good. Good. This is uh, this is an exciting one. Um, if for no other reason, I always like podcasting with other podcasters. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah. If, if you know nothing the else, they, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they get it, you know, they get kind of how to, you know, I don't know. They usually stay on point. They usually, uh, answer questions, you know, in a couple minutes. And I, anyway, it, there's just a lot of little nuances that you, uh, you start picking up on when you podcast for a few episodes. So, um, yeah. sp- speaking to your podcast real quick before, well, yeah, let's, uh, let's just kind of introduce yourself and, and, uh, you know, pe- people have a pretty good idea who you are. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know, y- you can do the, um, you know, go back to when you were eight and how you got into hunting. <laughs> if, if you want, I don't care, but nah, man, I'm, nah. we'll I'm a lot forever. more interested in hearing about your podcast and kind of how that came about and, uh, and just kind of the other big things, you know, maybe the bullet points that you have on your Instagram profile would be sure. a good, good idea to start with. Sure. I'll give you the five cent tour. Um, <laughs> well, John Stallone, as you said, I, uh, I'm a father, a husband, um, business owner. I, uh, I've been in the hunting industry since like 2001, some way, some shape, form, fashion being getting paid, uh, for, hunting in some way or another i've had i had a tv show for 12 seasons um from 2004 to 2016 um and i was mainly online i started the online um hunting tv realm so to speak i had the i owned the hunting channel online and we were the first way before there was youtube or anything else like that mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was one of the forefathers on that. I, I started my podcast, uh, 10 years ago as a feature of, yeah, as a feature to, uh, hunting channel members. Uh, and I, I only put, I used for, for a long time. It was just, uh, I, I released one a month. And it was called interviews with hunting masters, same as it is now. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I kept the name. Honestly, I, in hindsight, when I brought it, so three years ago, I brought it to the masses. Um, and 
I, uh, in hindsight, I wish I would have kept it the same as my TV show, which was Days in the Wild. It just, for marketing reasons and interviews with hunting masters, sounds pretentious and sounds like, oh, this guy thinks he's a hunting master. And <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, and it's just super long, too. So it's not, it's not easy to market on social media and whatnot. But uh, why, the reason why I originally did that one was because just to test the waters, I released like two or three episodes from my old, you know, library mm-hmm. from the seven years prior, um, just to see if there was any traction. And immediately it, you know, it took off. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, it took off. I'm just going to leave the name, you know. And then after a while, you know, promoting it and marketing it, after I thought about it for a little bit, it, it was like, you know, now at this point, I it's it's too hard to change. So, no, I yeah. I, I actually like it because, you know, like finding backcountry, for example, if you just came across that, who knows? Who knows what that's even about? Uh, it could be, you know, it could be a granola hiking podcast. It could be, uh, it, it could be anything to do with the backcountry. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's hunting. And so, I mean, yours is just, you know exactly what you're getting, you know, and there's something, yep. something to be said for that. <laughs> so I never looked at it that way. Thanks for putting it in that perspective. Hey, That's no good. problem. Glass, glass half full, man. But nice. no, I, was, I was looking through some of your guests and there's, there's honestly too many, uh, big, you know, people that are way better at hunting than I am to even, uh, rattle off a few. I'm just, frankly, I'm just, uh, humbled to be interviewing the person who runs the interviewing the hunt masters podcast. So that's, that's good. That's good enough for me. Thank you. Don't give me a big head. It's it's big enough. Yeah. yeah, That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I started bow hunting probably 30 years ago now. I'm in my forties and, um, based out of Arizona. Yep, I'm based out of Arizona. I I lived in New York till I was 16, but I've been living here for 27, 28 years, something like that. So kind of bring that yeah. uh, bring that New New York edge out west, and it's helped you be a better hunter, or no? <laughs> you, you know what? I, I, believe it or not, my my whitetail hunting experiences, and I still whitetail hunt quite a bit. Uh, I go back. I, I like to do at least one whitetail hunting years still uh actually gave me a lot of tools and made me look at hunting um western game differently you know than a lot of guys out here did you know and it kind of i think it gave me a leg up and so in certain instances it kind of hindered me at first because i you know had a skewed view of it but um you know i was able to once i learned how to hunt out west i was able to adapt my uh eastern skills into my western which kind of made me a more uh versatile hunter i think but well i've never hunted east of you know colorado but to me it seems like coming from back east where man it just seems it seems overcrowded and it seems like you've got to be extremely patient and it seems like you've got to learn how to pattern um, mm-hmm. you know, and those, those are all, those are all top qualities that you can apply to hunting out West. Um, you know, you got to modify them a little bit cause it's, it's a different playing field, but the principle I think is still the same. So. Yeah. You catch, you hit the nail on the head without even knowing it. And that's the, one of the things that helped me the, the most 
was the fact that I was so used to hunting pressured, overhunted, you know, yeah. areas and deer that are just, you know, so used to human intrusion that when I, when I look at some like guys are like, Oh, you'll hear it on every podcast. You'll hear it on in, in every article. You got to get away from the roads, you know, <laughs> just guys, guys don't, like to hike more than a mile and da 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 da. Hey, that's you know our. What? We've based our whole podcast on that principle. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you well, go. Here, and, and not and not to, not to not to put you down because it's, there's there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. But it's also like so. Back east, just to give you this for example, I used to hunt this WMA. It's a wildlife management area. Okay. Basically it's public land set aside for hunters to hunt and it's a sign in, you know, the first 10 guys that show up are the first 10 guys that get to use it. And that's the way it works. First come first serve. All these guys come in and, you know, do their thing, get away back, you know, from the parking lot or whatever. And spend all morning long and not have any success. And I'm the guy that's hunting a hundred yards off the parking lot because the deer, because that's what all moved deer away. all the deer moved away from, yeah. you know, from where they, those guys were hunting and, and, and pushed them to me. So, it's so I use that. It's so funny. I use cause, that yeah. Cause you know, and, and the first thing I'll say is we, if I was being honest, we, uh, when we backcountry hunt and we're looking at a unit, you know, where we have the option to go 10 miles or two miles or whatever, um, mm -hmm. we'll pass deer, you know, every so often we'll pass deer, for example, going in. Um, it's really not that the deer hunting is that much better. It's that just naturally you, you do alleviate the pressure. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I, I think you're right. I think sometimes we, um, shoot ourselves in the foot, so to speak, by passing up, you know, we'll just hike the first seven miles and not even glass for deer. And I know we're, mm -hmm. I know we're passing good bucks. I know, I know that we are, but it's like, well, we're, yeah. just, we're just looking for that experience of being by ourselves. It's right. not, not necessarily that the hunting's better, but yeah, no. And it's, it's interesting too. You're sitting there talking like how patient, you know, I, I feel like, and I don't have a specific example, but I feel like um, when guys come from that Western or that Eastern whitetail background, like the most patient dudes ever, like if, if they've got a mule deer, if they come out West and they've got like a mule deer bedded down and they're on him, <clears throat> you know, maybe, you know, staged up, you know, 50 yards from him and they waiting for him to stand up. They're just like, I'm cool. Like, I'll just sit here all day. I don't care. Like right, Mark, right. Mark Smith, you know, he's, I don't he, have that. Yeah. <laughs> but I know well, what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> We, we learned that from Mark Smith, you know, he, uh, man, he was the most patient guy ever. Um, he's just like, Oh, I'll just sit here. Like I'll just, I'll just stage up right here. They're going to move. They're going to make their mistake. It's going to be in three and a half hours. But when he does, you know, I'm going to ease this thing, this white back and I'm going to smoke him. And, uh, you know, me at this point, I just be like, Oh, I'm just going to go in there and make it happen. You know, anyway, uh, I'm like, I'm like you, man, I have zero patience. <laughs> For a sport that you really need a lot of patience, I'm surprised I've had the success that I've had with the patience that I have because I don't have any. Well, I'm, speaking I'm, ter of, I'm terrible yeah. about it. <laughs> speaking of patience, you need plenty of it when you're antelope hunting. And so we'll get into this, and I'll be honest. Um, this is, <clears throat> excuse me, like most of my other podcasts, I admit that this is it's purely selfish, um, and and this is no different um, because I have an antelope tag this year. Oh, nice in Nevada, and 
I've only hunted, I've actually only had one other antelope tag. Um, I've been on a few other antelope hunts, and so I, I kind of get the gist. Um, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter, but I'm just excited to talk to someone who, you know, has had far more experience than I have um, to just kind of pick up some pointers and stuff uh, for my own hunt. And then hopefully, you know, everyone listening uh, can find some value in it too. But, um, yeah, so just generally speaking, um, you know, I, I actually, um, you know, we, we kind of talked about some points that we could bring up. And um, I actually moved this one up to the top because I wanted to get it out of the way at the first because um, I think it's a good question to ask. But why do you think um, antelope would be kind of a good starting point for a, like a new hunter or someone that's just getting into hunting? Well, I think for any new hunter, especially kids, the key to getting them hooked, the key to getting them excited about hunting is to show them early success. And when I mean my early success, I don't mean killing a deer or killing an antelope in this you know, particular example. It, it's seeing game, having interaction, getting to experience the thrill of the chase. And with antelope, it, they're completely different than deer, elk. 90% of your time hunting deer and elk and other game is spent looking for those animals. Yeah. Just searching for them, to find them. And 10% is spent stalking them and trying to get them killed. Where antelope, they hide in the wide open. And they it's not just a morning hunt and an evening hunt. It's all day. So you have tons of experience, tons of interactions. It's a numbers game, really. Um, you know, you're you're getting lots of stalks, lots of action. So I think that's that's huge. Um, and they're not easy to. Well, I'm going to back up. I I don't rifle hunt antelope because for me, I think. And I, I'm not thumbing my nose up at anybody who does in any way, shape, form. For me personally, I think that rifle hunting antelope is probably one of the easiest game in, in the in the world to uh, to hunt. So the fact that my tag this year that I spoke about happens to be a rifle tag, and I'm going to use my new Weatherby six five three hundred. No, no, well, here, does... well, let me explain. Let me explain. Let me finish explaining. Let me explain the defense. Here's the difference. Because I feel like they're, they, they go from being the easiest to being the toughest, one of the toughest animals to hunt with a bow. Right. If you're spotting and stalking. Now, rifle hunting, that time of year, I've only been once, two times rifle hunting with somebody else who had a rifle tag. It becomes more like what I was saying earlier with deer and elk. You're looking, you're spending a lot more time looking to find one, the right one, and two, one that's not all boogered up. Because once rifle season comes along, once the rifle season comes along, they are way more skittish. Like they see trucks and they're gone. Um, so, but once you found one, I don't feel like it's too hard to get within a rifle range, especially if you're shooting, if you can shoot, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred yards. I've never really, I've never really had, at least in the, in the bow season, I feel like 
they have about a 200 to 250 yard comfort zone that they'll let you get to. If they see you in the wide open, they'll let you get to 250 yards without busting. Yeah. Again, once bang, bang, pow, pow starts, that changes. But, um, yeah, no, there's, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, I, I think where I'm at, you know, again, I've had, I've had one antelope tag prior to this. It was a rifle hunt as well. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I was, I was young, I was in high school early. Um, and, and I was, I was like, you're saying, like, I was just finding the, the first legal buck and just trying to learn how to hunt. Um, and that's, you know, that's valuable in and of itself. Um, but if you're the bow hunter who is looking to, um, you know, I might not suggest it to the guy who's bow hunting for the first year, um, but if you, you know, if you've been chasing mule deer for, you know, three, four, five years or elk and having trouble with your, your spotting and stocking skills, the problem, like, like you're saying with mule deer and elk, even you can spend a five, seven day hunt and only have two opportunities. Exactly. You know? Because you, some, exactly. you know, unless you're drawing these premium tags, you just not finding the deer, um, a lot of times. And so, man, if you want to hone, you, you want to hone your archery stocking skills my brother uh you know again i've never had an archery antelope tag my brother has um years ago and you know ironically he's one of the best mule deer stalkers that i've hunted with and maybe that's why Um, but he came out of that saying excuse me he came out of that and and was just clearly like this this was the hardest this is archery antelope hunting is the most difficult thing i've ever done in my life um, yeah, it's different because you don't have the cover. You don't have, that's, I, I'm, you know, we'll get to this, but a lot of people make, make that mistake of treating antelope like deer. They're not, yeah. they're not everything about them is different, but you hit the nail on the head. Like antelope, I learned more about spot and stalk hunting from my first two years of antelope hunting than I ever learned in 10 years prior of mule deer hunting or coos deer hunting because you get away with nothing yeah yeah you get exactly you have to you have to rely on your ability to maneuver about the country without being spotted be stealthy yeah yeah exactly um so 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 let's say you're a guy that's uh you know wants to to try your hand this season's a little late you might be able to pick up some over-the-counter deals for you know if you just want to go uh hunt antelope this year i assume there's a few states that you can pick up over the counter but let let you and you can touch on that but let's say that you're uh you know maybe for next year um or you know a guy wants to just have an idea of where to go what are maybe the top uh you know two or three states for antelope well, I mean, depends what you're talking about. Top meaning uh, best bucks, you know, highest trophy quality is going to be Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. But as far as opportunities concerned, Wyoming is number one by far. And the, uh, Mon- the, the Montana is pretty good. And South Dakota, believe it or not, has a lot of opportunity and a crap ton of goats on the, you know, on the west. Yeah portion of the state well and the and the big differentiation between what you just the units you just said to me is um you know the arizonas the nevadas um not too familiar with 
um, Montana or, but they're, they're going to take, you know, at least Arizona and Nevada, they're going to take points and quite a oh, few yeah. of them. Um, yeah. I drew this year as a resident with six points and that's probably about what it takes for a rifle tag. You can pick the archery tags up quite a bit easier, but, um, as, oh, a, wow. as a non-resident, you can't, um, you know, it might probably take you three or four years to pick up an archery tag. And I'm, I'm guessing Arizona's the same, if not a lot worse. No, way worse, way worse. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you're looking at, uh, 15 yeah. to 20, 20 points in Arizona. But, if you want a rifle, if you want a rifle tag, uh, archery tag, definitely above 10. And it depends on the unit. So I, I drew an archer, archery tag here with nine points but i also had the worst unit in the state it's actually the only antelope tag i i, I didn't fill in my my life um i learned a lot on that hunt but i i only had four days to hunt and that was due to poor planning on my part and i didn't do scouting uh which is not like me uh when it comes to in-state hunts but i uh yeah so but either way i uh i think there was only like six bucks in the whole unit that I was hunting and, uh, <laughs> you knew every one of them. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, there's, there's only two archer tags and, and the guy that, uh, the other guy that had a tag actually shot a freaking booner. Uh, I think it was like 89 inches or something like that. Um, but he lives in Flagstaff, which is where the, I had a tag 11 M, which is the easiest to draw if anybody wants to try their hand out here. But, um, it's also the toughest, hunt there is for antelope in the state um a lot lots of pri lots of private lands lots of uh so yeah that's that that's kind of my you know my strategy with you know and again i'm not an antelope um you know guru or freak or anything like that so when i pick up the arizona hunting license that i have to have to apply for deer or hunt the archery over the counter deer um, mm -hmm. I'm naturally just going to pay the, you know, whatever it is, 10 or 15 bucks yeah. to get an antelope point, And then who cares for, for me, if it's, you know, I do that in probably three or four States maybe. And then, oh yeah, I have all of a sudden I have, you know, I think this year now I have seven, six or seven antelope points in Wyoming and I'm like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. it's time to mix that in. And I, you know, no offense to antelope, but I just kind of fill them in the cracks. Um, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and that's not fair to antelope because they are, uh, everybody has that. So not everybody. There's a, most people share your your view. Yeah. You know, they're very um, underrated. Yeah. They're very underrated. I think. Yep, I agree. Um, so, so let's let's say you've narrowed down to a state. Uh, you know, Wyoming being kind of the opportunist, uh, or you've drawn a Nevada, Arizona mm -hmm. type trophy. You know what? What are you kind of just a, an overall uh, view or a you know thirty thousand foot view? What are you kind of looking for? in a unit um maybe you haven't drawn the tag yet what 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 are you narrowing down to a good unit um what are kind of the the two or three top bullet points maybe that you look for in a good unit well i mean when i'm applying for a unit i always look at the population i always look at access uh opportunity to draw has always been a big thing for me so I, I'm not a, I don't look for premium hunts ever because, well, one, it came about from doing the TV show for so long. I needed to have at least 13 tags a year, you know, to make a show. Um, so it was all based on what I can draw, what I can get and fill in with over the counter stuff and so on and so forth. So I look at opportunity more than anything. And then with, you know, 
with that, I, I look for, um, the densities. How can I put this? It's kind of hard. I'm trying not to sound like a biologist. Um, <laughs> Let me back up a little bit. One of the things I, I also look at too, as I look at uh, harvest success rates, and if if that harvest success meets the the average across the board for the country, for archery, let's say, um, you know, say across the board, archery success is twenty percent. Okay, if it has at least that, I'm going to put in for there because I know. And I, this might sound conceited, but I know that if it's, you know, 20% of the population, which is the average, yeah. is is able to kill there, then I have an opportunity to do it. For you, it's going to be 75 or whatever. No, we're... Well, I, I don't know about that, but... Well, it's, yeah, but... But it's a, it, it, I feel like I have a, a better chance at it. But I spend a lot more time in the field than... I mean, if you think about most guys that hunt, they get a week off and they go hunting a week, maybe maybe 10 days a year yep. i spend 90 days a field you know yeah and we're we're so we're the same way with uh we, we really don't put too much weight on that harvest success rate um you know we'll, we'll look at a you know we're a lot more familiar with deer but i i think you're saying the same thing i mean we'll look at that and as long as it's not like alarmingly low like oh five percent right that that raises exactly. my eyebrows but if it's like 10 15 20 percent on deer like all for it man like we'll figure it out yeah okay as long as it as long as it meets a national average yeah. i'm i'm in count me in you know um do you yeah, break I mean, down uh, do, do you have a like a private land public land uh kind of threshold or is it more you don't nah. really care based on access kind of a thing as long as there's access, a matter of fact, I love units. I've grown to love units. I used to hate it, but I've grown to love units that have a ton of pub, uh, private. And I just use the private to my my advantage. Nine times out of ten, the private grounds with the, the where the water is going to be, where the where the better feed's going to be. There might even be some agriculture on there, alfalfa fields, whatever. And I just use that stuff to my advantage. I look for those things that I hunt the edge. You know, I will, I will, I'm the one, I'm the guy that'll find a hundred yard track to public land that takes me three. Matter of fact, you know, one of the, the blast buck I killed, uh, matter of fact, I killed two bucks in the same exact, there's a, a landlocked piece of BLM. Okay. It's about two square miles, which is pretty fairly large. You know, it's not giant for when you're talking about antelope, but it's fairly large and it's completely surrounded by private, except for this one little strip, literally a hundred yards long, but it's three miles long, three miles. Uh, it's a hundred yards wide, three miles long. And you have to stay in this drainage for three miles to get to this other piece. And, and I would, nobody hunts it. It's like my own little piece of private. <laughs> There's always antelope. I glass them up from the road three miles away and see goats that I like. And I take that little drainage all the way into that area and I made my stalks and yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, I think like you're saying 20, 30 years ago, um, we didn't have those, that knowledge or that resource all the time. And unless you just knew 
the country mm-hmm. or, you know, it was easy for those little pockets to be overlooked. And nowadays, yeah. um, you know, Onyx maps. Yeah. It, it doesn't scare guys because exactly <laughs> nope. Onyx maps are, you know, um, you can find that information out and that's, that's good. That's, I, I think that that's good because yeah. it's still public land. You know, it's not like you're right. cheating. Um, you're just utilizing, you know, the rules of the game. So. No, that's, that's good. Yeah. I, you know, and, and the point to be made is you're gonna in antelope hunting naturally, um, most units, you're going to run into a lot more private land than you would on a, a backcountry deer hunt or an elk hunt or whatever, just because of the terrain it's down in the flats, there's going to be farmers, there's going to be, you know, it's going to mm-hmm. be gridded with all these, you know, all their sections and stuff like that. So it's just a, that, that's a really good point. And, uh, and a, you know, a little tip or tactic that people can use to, uh, still be successful in those units oh yeah so all right anything else uh, specifically that you kind of look for in a a unit whether it's you know even uh you know we're, we're going to talk about some of the kind of the land features the water and stuff like that but anything else you would look for just when you're kind of applying for a unit um do you get worked up about buck to doe ratios or like um you know i i don't know when's no. when's generally kind of the season or the dates that you like to put in for does it matter uh honestly i mean if i could time it with a rut it's great i'll do that but i don't i don't put a whole lot of weight on any of that stuff i'm you know and the rut for antelope um about coincides with elk is that right middle of september ish mm, depends where you're hunting okay um i i'd say the first part of september end of august okay. a lot of places so um, on some, my some, Nevada, I'm, uh, I think the rifle hunt opens like the, it's either the 22nd or the 26th. I think it's the 22nd. And so that's probably going to be a tad early. Um, and, but 22nd of September of, or no, of August. Of August. Yep. Oh yeah. You know what though? The beauty of that is they have, you only have that one archery hunt before yours. Yep. Some of these have like first and second rifle or whatever. Um, if you get, they're not, they're not going to be as boogered up from the archery hunters. And, and two, because that, that rut's going to be coming on somewhere at some point, or they're still in that kind of like seeking phase where they're kind of trolling around. Now the bucks are starting to troll around looking for doe groups that have some, you know, hot does in it you're going to have a better opportunity like because a lot of times these rifle seasons come in october and the rut's like basically over and they've been chased around for a month with with archery tackle and now they just want to rest and hold up yeah they just want to get away but so you, you you have the rut stupidity factor which i uh you know, find works, yeah. works out great for you, great to your advantage, you know? Well, the, um, the problem, you know, if, if this was a mule deer discussion, the problem with that, that that's like saying, you know, you're hunting mule deer in October when they're in that transition from like the high country to the rut. But, and that's, that's the worst time to be hunting mule deer because you can't find them, you know, but nah, with, it's with, different. Yeah. With antelope, it's like they got nowhere to hide really. And so they're just up and stirring around. It sounds like. Um, you know, yeah. the end of August, they're just going to be on the move, which, you know, is kind of an advantage in this case. Yeah. I, I find that antelope are up and stern around no matter what time of year it is, really. <laughs> it's just, yeah. if, are they going to be, are they going to be where you scouted or are they going to be where the, you know, 
on the outskirts of where all the does are hanging out is really what it comes down to. Um, so let's talk about that. I mean, you bring up scouting. Um, that's kind of, you know, you've, you've picked a state or you've uh, drawn a tag and that's kind of the next progression. Um, kind of talk about, you know, briefly here, uh, and then we'll get into some specific questions, but where, kind of where and how you would start scouting uh, for an animal mm-hmm. tag? So for me, I don't ever, ever really get the luxury of putting boots on the ground scouting. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, how many days I spend in the field. It's because I'm going, my, my seasons are seven days at a time. You know, I go seven days here, seven days here, seven days here. And I, I'm never, I, I spend as, as much time as I spend, I feel I can't go to my wife and say, hey, babe, I'm going to go scout for three, four days in Colorado <laughs> instead of being, home so I can, the, yeah. exactly. I can't do it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's going to run off with the gardener and, um, you know, <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> exactly. So I, I honestly, I do all my scouting via, you know, cyber scouting. I, I, I look at maps. I've learned to use Google earth out of, all fishing game guys, biologists. I, I utilize everything I possibly can. And then once I get there, you know, hopefully I made the right choices and uh, I just make do what, what I got. Okay. Um, so my starting point for scouting really depends on how you want to hunt them. You know, if you're, if you're planning on hunting on a water hole, then I mean, it's, not that difficult to look on Google Earth and find some good water holes and 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 see you know do you um, juxtaposition next to you know what they're next to you do you know you, you want to find a water hole sorry go ahead oh sorry do you do you utilize any um, you know apps or programs that kind of um, you know like I I use one that pinpoints where there should be a water hole or a man-made guzzler or whatever do you utilize that or you just literally scan in google earth uh, i I do i do both i use everything okay i look at everything i use onyx i use google earth Uh, i'll bust out you know paper maps uh i'll look on fish and game websites always have a lot of good information people overlook that stuff yeah and mind you everybody sees the same information but um, yeah, I mean, so really, like I said, it comes down to, it comes down to the way you want to hunt them. Right. Me primarily, I'm a spot and stalk hunter. Um, and not because it's more effective. It's just because I find it more fun. And like you were saying earlier, uh, what we were talking about earlier, it gives me the opportunity to hone my spot stock skills because I'm not doing three stocks in a, in a week's time. I'm doing three, four stocks a day. Well, you know? let's, let's, I, I want to talk from that perspective, even though my tag's a rifle tag, because one, that's what your expertise is in. And then two, um, it's super easy. You know, if, if that's the tactic that you're, that you use, um, you know, it's easy to adjust that to a, um, to a rifle oh, yeah. hunt. So let's, so let, let, let's say you're on, you're on Google earth and you've, you've, uh, you know, you're on Onyx or whatever, and you've pulled up a few, you know, say there's half a dozen, um, you know, man-made guzzlers or ponds or, you know, uh, cattle ponds or whatever. Um, let's say there's more than that. Let's say that, you know, I, I don't know what's, what's typical for like a, an Arizona or Nevada unit would is half a dozen water holes. It depends on the year, depends on the rain and stuff, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, 
I, I'm just I'm just curious if there is you know a few options and you've got to show up and just start hunting. Um, which which one are you kind of choosing and why, or are you just planning to kind of show up and hit them all and check out the activity, or kind of what's your thought process there? Yeah, well, again, if I was going to hunt a waterhole, then yeah, I would just I would show up and go check as many out as possible, look at tracks, whatever. If I bring a camera with me or two, throw up a couple on cameras up on holes that that I think are getting hit often and you know i'll choose like i'll I'll pick three for instance you know i'll go sit one um and i say i go sit. i've only killed one one antelope on water and but i do take people hunting like friends with me and i'll i will this is what i will do with them and i i've guided i'm I'm you know i'm a guide here in arizona um i'll pick a couple different water holes like three of them like i said i'll sit on one and run cameras on the other two and then just kind of keep checking the camera and looking and see you know based on what the what i'm seeing at the one i'm sitting at versus you know what the trail camera's picking up on the other yeah. uh the thing about water holes though and and people argue with me i feel especially those bigger bucks if they haven't seen a structure like your ground blind yeah. next to a water hole for a and I don't know how many days it is. I find I find it at least a week works best. Um, get it up. That they're going to be ver- yep. yeah. Get them up in advance. They're going to they're going to be leery about it. But there's there's rules against that stuff. You know, let, you got to kind of like you know. Let, let me. Every, ask, every place is going to be built different. Yeah. Well, and let me, let me give you a for instance on that. And let me ask you a couple of questions. So, um, Nevada. W- one thing you mentioned was the trail cameras huge advantage to be running a trail camera on a hunt like this in the middle of the hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, one, there's only so many water holes usually. And two, you can access them super fast and super easy. So you get instant feedback. Nevada right. just passed. I'm sure you're aware of this. They just passed their trail camera regulation that prohibits the use of trail cameras after August 1st until December uh, 31st yeah. and so yeah. you're out on that but um what yeah so it's just looking at sign looking yeah. at tracks yep you know reading what's new what's not yep um so the you know and, and with a rifle with a rifle which is great about the water hole things you don't have to have a ground line you could sit 200 yards off right. you know and it's some you know a sage clump or whatever and, and you know have a really good opportunity at killing something. Yeah, that, that now, makes sense. Either way, I use water as a tool because antelope are very tied to water. Um, so I look for areas that have um, year-round water. I also look for for feed. You know, antelope are both uh, browsers and grazers, and they prefer to browse, but they will graze. So what that means is. Areas that have a lot of forbs, a lot of uh, green up, you know, weeds that come through, uh, and a very important, you know, plant for them is sage. It always has been. They're very tied to sage. Uh, it's they're able to extract more protein out of sage than they do out of, like, let's say, alfalfa. Um, so, looking looking for those big areas that have good vantage points from the perspective of the antelope i look for think like an antelope what do i need to survive what where's my preferred feed at where's my water at what do i need to feel 
comfortable, meaning is there thermal cover, shade, whatever. Um, and what do I need to feel safe? So if you could find feeding areas that give them like a safe view, let's say, of, of, of a big area, but still fairly broken up, those are areas that I look I look for I look for places that have a lot of broken country. Yeah. And and the reason why is because again, I, I like to spot and stalk them with a bow, is because it gives me something to hide behind. There's no trees, there's no bushes that are tall enough to hide you in, in most of the, in most of this country. There's you know places in Idaho and even here in Arizona where like that unit that I was hunting with, they're actually in the ponderosas and stuff. Um, but for the most part, your Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana, you know they're in open plains. You know, big expanses, rolling open sage, and you- not. Are are you able to pick up those kind of those subtle nuances in the terrain on Google Earth, or does that have to be an on the boots when you get there? Meaning those tiny little, you know, those little swells and those little coolies and those little tiny, you know, and all you need is it to swell up, you know, a few feet, you know, and and you can sneak behind it. But I mean, can right. you, can you pick that stuff up online, or is it more in person? Yeah, I, and I can I can because I've. I've learned to key in on it. One of the easiest ways to do that is you're looking at Google earth and this big expanse looks all Brown, but every once in a while you see a little pocket of really like green. And that's usually a depression because water collects there and that vegetation grows better. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't take much in the desert units like that for a little bit of extra water to get down there. And yep, it'll green up even though there's not running water there. It's just the rain when it does rain. Yep. Yeah, Um, exactly. The other question I had is when you pick up a water hole, even if you're, let's say you're spotting stock archery hunting and you're not going to sit water, will you kind of reference um, a water hole? And then have you found a certain distance um, that you're going to find antelope within that, or can it be, you know, I feel like it could be unlimited, but I'm curious if you're like, Oh no, generally they're going to be within two miles of water or one mile or, you know, have you found a kind of a general yeah, distance? I would say a mile and a half or less that typically hang out, but they are very nomadic and they can go great distances in a very short amount of time. They're super fast and, you know, they're built to run. So, um, yeah, you can, you can be, you can find them, them, you know, you four or five miles away from a permanent water source. Yeah. Um, and, and they will travel, you know, I've seen them travel four or five miles, uh, to reach matter of fact, one of the, the one time I did do a wilderness hunt, um, it was crazy cause they would be up on the mountain with all this like where the deer would be and then they would come off and they would i mean you'd watch them for this is actually how we end up getting it getting one killed is i just end up just noticing every single evening before you know before it got dark uh an hour before it got dark not like deer when they come right at dark because antelope don't typically like to move around at nighttime they will a little bit but uh typically when it gets dark they want to be in a very wide open flat spot where they can see because their their eyes are their best uh 
tool. Um, anyway, every, yeah, every, every night they would drop down. Um, and you know, we just, they took almost the same path every time. And that's, we just intercepted them at a point that we knew that we can, we can get to and stay concealed and shoot them. So, yeah. Um, couple other scouting questions and then, and then, you know, we're kind of naturally transitioning into, into hunting, which is, is makes sense. But, um, I'm, I'm curious too about the water. Um, you know, what, what am I trying to say here? I, um, as far as water holes drying up, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, if, it doesn't sound like you're showing up in, you know, July, um, you know, during the monsoons and then coming back in, you know, the first of October when it might be dried up. But, you know, I, I'm just curious how often that happens out West. Um, you know, I, well, I, I don't know. Here in Arizona, it happens a lot. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm just curious kind of when in the year, you know, at what point would you be triggering like, okay, this is going to be a dry year and I'm really going to have to hunt for water or not based on, you know, well, let, let's talk about this year. I mean, we, we, I, I think you guys are probably the same similar weather. We just got our first rainstorms like last week since like mm-hmm. March, you know? And so yeah, what, what's a year like this going to look like? Are those, is that going to be enough to fill up uh, some of those, ponds or is that not going to be enough to speak of where we just kind of got one little burst um, of rainstorms and then let's say it doesn't rain again until you know my hunt in august mm. well to be honest with you i haven't been out much over here but um i did go look for uh, a deer client that we have coming for the early archery hunt and the ponds seem to have have water in them still. Um, right here by my house, there's a giant catchment um, that rainwater collects in, and it's still full. And we haven't had it's been five or six days since we had rain. It's like, but honestly, like I, I use Google Earth, and I kind of use the um, the calendar feature on it, and I just go back and I look and I see. Does this business water hole seemingly have water every year that they took pictures? Yeah. Uh, and what time of year was those were those pictures taken? And I just I just kind of use it as a Geiger meter, you know. Like I, it's just when I get there, like I said, I, I use. I live my I live my season seven days at a time. Like I rarely, rarely, rarely ever get a chance to put boots on the ground. Uh, and do any like real scouting, go pick out a buck that I want to shoot beforehand, you know? So I really rely on behavior. I really rely on, uh, needs, needs of the animal and put those, put that knowledge to use when I get there. When I, once I get there, I figure it out. No, that, that, that was, a, it was a poorly phrased and worded question but yeah that I, I knew we were getting at yeah, it but it's just because it's hard, I, it's hard I know I, I know with guys like you there's just those those tiny little mental notes that you make that you, you do it almost you know subconsciously of just like oh you know a year like this i'm gonna approach it from this angle or these water holes are gonna be dried up and so you know they're got to be here and so it's just just something right. to be cognizant of but um the the last thing on the um on the scouting is is just 
if guys do have a chance to get out um, and say they find a, a good buck um, early in the summer, say June or July, um, you know, are they similar to mule deer where, you know, if you find a mule deer buck in July and he's up in a backcountry basin and doesn't get bumped, he's, he's, he's probably going to be there, you know, until <laughs> the first of September, at least when he, his, uh, horns go hard. Are the antelope similar to that? Or are they just so, so much on the move that if he does happen to be in the same spot, it's just a coincidence. I mean, yes and no. Like I find that, they'll return year to year using the same area. Um, but then every once in a while, one will just, you know, Pick you'll up see them. Yeah. yeah. For, and seemingly for no reason at all, I, I would have to imagine it has something to do with the feed or maybe predators moved into that area or something that they just felt like they needed to move, whatever. But um, I mean, typically like I said, I, I usually hunt them in, in, in archery season. It's usually uh, beginning stages or if not full-on rut. And I, I'm just looking for big doe groups um, because I know eventually a buck's going to come and, and check them and there's going to be a buck hanging on the outskirts. If you find one by himself, let's say in July or whatever, he's probably not going to be there once your hunt comes along. But he's not going to be super far from there either. So I'm not saying don't go out in July, but you're better off. You're better off finding big doe groups. Uh, if you're not hell bent on shooting one specific buck, you know, and really it all depends on where your, where your hunt falls. I, I guess if, if, if you got that early August where, you know, they're not quite running yet or whatever, um, then yeah, you know, find one by himself pattern him figure out where he's watering figure out where he's feeding where he's, he's gonna his his area is gonna be i mean for as far as antelope goes it's gonna be pretty tight you know um but okay it's hard to say because and, and one like i said it's not scouting uh you know scouting and finding a specific antelope or any animal for that matter unless i have like a governor's tag uh client or whatever which i i've, I've never had um <laughs> but I probably don't do a whole lot of that. I don't, you know, I pride myself on being able to find mature animals that are, you know, uh, I hate to use the word respectable, but with, for lack of better terminology, respectable, uh, um, specimen of the species, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not an inches guy. I never have been. And, and that's just the way I am. I was like, I enjoy hunting. I enjoy being out there. And I, I usually, the clients that I guide or gravitate to me for this, those same reasons, they, they just want to have come and have a good experience. So, well, and, and, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a, um, necessarily an inches guy either, especially with antelope. Um, you know, this year it, it, it'll be, this tag will be different than the first one I had where, you know, mm -hmm. difference of, first legal buck versus, you know, I, I want to find something that's like, like you said, a good representation of the species. And so without getting too technical on the, uh, like the field judging stuff, um, mm -hmm. you know, just break down, um, you know, just kind of the, um, if there's any little tips of like, Oh, 
you know that that is a, a good sized antelope that's that's how you you know that's how you tell that it's a decent sized antelope um these are the kind of you know three or four different measurements they're going to take um you know and these are some things sure. you, need to, you need to look for to find a, a mature antelope yeah um well first let me start off by saying this i think if you're really want to learn how to field judge antelope because they're super tricky even for guys have been looking at them for a long time uh i think tony uh grimmett put out a video six seven maybe maybe longer years ago and it's i believe it's still on youtube and you can find it he does a really 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 good job those guys killed giant bucks year after year after year matter of fact that they, they have more um uh, Boone and Crockett bucks than any other outfitter. I think they, I, I, I think they actually own the, they own the whole, <laughs> the whole section in antelope. Um, anyway, but they, those guys do a really excellent job because I mean, the thing about antelope is the mass on them is super tricky, yeah. and a, a buck with a lot of mass will hide some of the other features that would make you think he's big. Um, but just as a real quick reference guide, oh, you know, the other thing is too, like, and it depends if you're doing BNC or if you're doing SEI score or whatever, the, um, the position of the prong, the, the, like the digger. Can, yeah. Yeah. Your, your cutters or whatever yeah. that can give you, depending on where it is, Another, a higher or low, yeah, higher but, or lower score. Cause like. It's where the mash, uh, where they take the mash measurements. So, um, because anyway, they, so they, that being said, they, they basically break those mass measurements down. Not, not like, uh, you know, a mule there is in a specific point of the, it doesn't matter. It just, wherever that G2, you know, mm-hmm. or G4 breaks off the main beam, there's going to be a mass measurement right before that, you know? And so it doesn't matter how right. long that that main beam is for a mass measurement. But what you're saying on antelope, it does matter because they literally just take the overall length of the horn all the way from the base to the tip. And then you pretty much divide it. Um, you know, right. right. There's going to be one in that middle and then, you know, and so it, it does matter because if that digger is set way high, then that's an advantage because you might get two mass measurements, um, before that, right. before that digger ends. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so anyway, I mean, but as a rule of thumb, I, I use the ears. Some guys will use the snout, you know, the uh, tear duct to the snout. But I feel like the ears are probably the easiest one because they're right up against the horn. Um, one, I look for cutters that are or diggers above the ears. Um if they're below the ears, you're, you're probably looking at a young, a young buck. Okay. Even, even if he's got some length on him, you're probably looking at a young buck. Um, cutters above the ears. Um, the ears, and I've heard guys say that depends on where you're, where you're living. So it might be something you want to check with like a taxidermist or whatever on the length of the ears. But for the most part, I think six to six and a half inches is about accurate. Um, and you know, you're looking for, for a mature buck, 13 inches or, or longer. 
Uh, you know, you start getting into the 16, 17, eight, you know, even 18 inch, but I mean, you're looking at 90 inch bucks. You're looking at giant bucks. Uh, but if you're looking for a mature animal, uh, thir- about 13 inches is about as little as you want it to be. If, if you want it to be three years or, uh, three years or older, um, you know, a good, a 15 inch buck is, if he's got the right mass is going to, I think, you know, almost always give you, you know, an eighties buck. And that, um, that, that's a, that's a tricky one, um, with antelope because, um, well, first of all, let me say that's probably the most, from what I understand, that's probably the kind of the baseline that, you know, I relate it to when I was growing up with mule deer, the only thing that mattered as far as a score, quote unquote, was how wide was that mule deer? You're always yeah. looking for a 30 inch buck. It didn't matter. Because yeah, it makes it look giant. Yep. Back in the, you know, 1980 something, 90 something, uh, you know, that that's the old timers. That's all they cared about. It could be the most willow horned, uh, mm-hmm. you know, two by three, but if he stretched the tape at 30 inches, that was a real trophy. And that's, so with antelope, that's kind of the, you know, the old timer, so to speak. I don't want to say that, but the, you know, just before, before Boone and Crockett or SCI got real big, that that's just kind of the, the baseline was how, how long, yeah. you know, how, what was the length of the horns? And they, they take that measurement and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it goes from kind of the front and then, and then wraps up over the back. And the, the reason I bring that up is, um, you know, it's real easy on a mule there to say, Oh, mm-hmm. he's 28 inches wide because you just see it. And, and right. there's, there's no deception there, but with antelope, the way that those horns grow, um, you know, Mike Eastman would talk about this all the time. Uh, the word hay hook, you know, those, those are the ones that hay hook back. And when you're looking right. at them head on, oh, that, you know, that he he's only, you know, four or five inches above his ears. Well, when it, then when he turns, he hay hooks back, you know, six inches and like, oh no, that's a 16 inch goat, you know? <laughs> right, so, right, right. But that's, yeah, no, I, yeah. You gotta look at an antelope for for more than one ang- angle if you're concerned about the score for sure. And the other thing is too, when you're looking at them head on, they might be like look real pencily from the front, but then when you look, or if you look from better than explain like this, if you look at them from the side, they might look heavy and wide. But then if you look at them from the front, they look all pencily, then they're kind of like they don't quite have the mass that you think they have because they're not around. You know, they're just flat and wide from the side and and not the bases aren't round because they got kind of like a like a teardrop shape to them so yeah you got to look at them from different few different angles um one of the bucks i shot in uh in south dakota um and for a while he was like number 11 uh pope and young by spot and stock not over water by spot and stock he was number 11 for a while because nobody was doing it when i first shot him back in like 2004 or whatever 2005 um yeah he's so deceiving like you look at him and if you look at him for the front you don't think he's a he don't you don't think he has the length that he has he's got serious like hooks that come like they're super tight and they come straight down, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's super hard to judge. 
a lot of guys will be like, well, when you see a big one, you'll know he's a big one. I don't, I don't believe that. Not, not if you're not um, familiar with them like me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've looked at little ones and thought they were big too. So it's just yeah. kind of like. Correct me if I'm wrong too on the, on the uh, cutters. Um, when they measure that, um, again, not that it matters if you're not really worried about a technical score, but, um, you know, they'll actually take from the, do they, do they take from the back of the horn? And, and so they measure across the, the, the main horn going up and then out and up the, the cutter. It's not a, isn't that right? It's not from just where the cutter leaves the, uh, I don't know. Am I, am I remembering that wrong or is it just anyway? To be honest, I am the worst person to ask about this yeah. stuff, man. I, 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 this is the way, this is my philosophy. Is you, are you going to be happy with that? Yes. Shoot yeah. it. That's it. That's my philosophy. And that's the way I run my life. It's the way I run my guiding business. The way I run, <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't have time for regret in my life. So if yeah. I'm not going to get down, if I'm it. not helping. Yeah. I don't even, but I think you are, I think you're correct, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent. Like literally I don't score. I, I don't, I don't, I don't even ever score any of them. The only reason why I had this one scored was because, uh, Marvin Zeitzer, um, who, who happens to have the the world record uh, here in Arizona for Pope and Young, uh, saw him mounted and said, "Hey, what does he score?" He's like, "Oh, you want to mind if I score him for you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, go ahead, you know, because whatever." And so that's how that that's how that came about. Otherwise, that buck would have never gotten scored. Good point. Um, Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we kind of touched on some of the, uh, the hunting tactics. Um, there's a few other things I want to touch on. I mean, talk, talk about, you know, we, we, I want to skip over hunt on water. I want to go back to the spot and stock a little bit, um, because it's the most technical, I think. Um, you know, obviously if you're sitting water, you gotta, you know, play the wind a little bit there. Like you said, get your, get your blind or your structure up as soon as possible, um, have some etiquette around other guys. You know, it, it's kind of mm-hmm. a weird, you'll run into that a little bit antelope hunting. I feel like where, um, one guy will set his blind up early and feel like, you know, I've, I've literally seen notes, um, you know, where they leave a note on the outside of their blind, like, Hey, this is my water hole. And like, I don't know. Yeah. 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 We, we don't need to get into that, but just, just, you know, it's not worth a fight just to have some etiquette, but back to the spot and stock. Um, with a bow, um, you know, I guess my question is when, you know, when, when do you hit that trigger? Like when, when do you see, what, what are you seeing? And when do you, when do you know that it's time to go and, and make a move on an antelope? And, and when is it time to sit back and be patient, um, and wait for him to be in a different spot? I mean, just kind of generally speaking. Um, well, I kind of said it earlier. Uh, the word of patience doesn't exist in my vocabulary. <laughs> so I'm pretty aggressive. Uh, there's nothing really patient about me. So if I see an antelope that's in, well, here's the thing. When I'm looking, when I'm driving around or I'm hiking around and I'm looking for an antelope to hunt. I'm not going to go hunt. I'm not even going to try if he's literally standing out in a sage flat 
there's nothing i'm not there's there's nothing in my head that says i'm gonna try i'm not gonna try to decoy i'm not gonna try there's no reason i'm just gonna drive along until i find the next one that's in the right spot something that is within an obstruction that i can get to and he's with he's within a shooting distance of that uh, just uh, you know of that obstruction and that might be a little rise in the in the terrain it might be a drainage might be a tree you know tree whatever is it like, so it's it's different for you than mule deer you know because i'm thinking mule deer here and it's like well i as a general rule i don't leave and go stock a mule deer that's up feeding but i'll bet it's different with you with antelope it's more based on where he's at and the terrain that's around him. Right. 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 I don't care if they're bedded, standing, and I'm that way with mule deer too, to be honest with you. I'm not and I'm not the I'm not the greatest mule deer hunter uh because because of it, but uh because of my lack of patience anyway. Um but if if there's one up feeding and let's say, you know, I guesstimate that he's hundred and twenty yards away from the you know, the top of this ridge that I know that if I swing around the mile, I could get behind it without him seeing and I can get, you know, come through the little saddle that's in it and shoot down from the top at him. I'll do that. I'll, I'll race over to get there. And then my patience starts. I'll wait till he's close enough for me to shoot or till, you know, he makes a mistake or whatever. Um, I, I love finding I love driving around looking for an antelope that is below something cliffy, something, uh, you know, a ridge or whatever, especially if they're bedded. A lot of times they bed facing downhill uh, and looking out. And if you're hunting with a buddy, this is a perfect, perfect situation. You can have your buddy with either a white T-shirt or even a truck kind of drive out in front of them. And, you know, but stay 500, 600, whatever yards away, but hold his attention, hold his attention. You come up from behind it and and try to position yourself directly behind its head, you know, its head, which is hard to do, you know, unless you're in a state where you can use radios and they can talk you in. Um, And, and often you have it, you know, you have a, a very short window to range them up, draw back and make a shot. I don't wait till they stand up. Um, you know, a lot of times if they stand up, they'll, they'll bounce out like, like mule deer will do and, and, you know, run 15, 20 yards and turn back and look to see if they're being pursued. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you gotta be good at judging the distance that they run to make a clean shot and have that practiced in your head. You know, how many, how many bounces did he take? How many, you know, how many yards do they go per bounce? Um, yeah, I, I use a lot of distraction method when I hunt. Uh, I often hunt with a partner. Uh, a lot of times I'm hunting with my cameraman, so I'll have my cameraman not instead of being over my shoulder filming, uh, filming the wide angle from out there and let him be my, you know, distraction, drive the, drive the truck up and down the road a couple times, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever I need to do, um, you know, and with, with clients that aren't you know can't crawl through the grass and belly crawl through sage or whatever or you know uh, my my father-in-law for instance you know i've taken him antelope hunting probably four or five times now and he's in his late 60s um 
I think he gets on his hands and knees and he does a pretty good job of it. But most of the time, I mean, his first antelope that we got him um, was in Wyoming. And, you know, we were just driving the roads, stopping glass and driving the roads, glass. And we, and we saw these bucks, two bucks out there. And I drove, I drove to a point where I knew I was like, still like 200 plus 300 yards from the, from the goats. And they hadn't, uh, and you know, most of the time they won't run away from a truck, um, in the early season. It's not till guys start bang, bang, pow, pow, when they're shooting from the truck and laying it across the hood, (laughs) they start running away. I've seen them early in the summer. I used to do wildland fire and we'd, we'd be cruising out in these desert areas. I've seen them like, almost like they're racing the truck, you know, or trying to like, they're just cruising alongside going, you know, a, a nice, easy, you know, 35 miles an hour, just almost like they're just doing it for fun. Um, yeah, they, they do. They're so, they so do. quirky. I think they have a, they have a mentality and they want to beat you, beat you to wherever you're going. Well, uh, you know that, and hold on that, that. That's a good point because, you know, I've always believed their what is their number one defense mechanism? I mean, it's, it's literally their speed, you know, and they, they can outrun right. anything. And so, um, I, I think what you're, one of the things that you're, gonna touch on maybe with you know maybe decoys and i i don't know if you use this or not but the curiosity of antelope um is is a big factor when hunting them just kind of talk about um how you use that to your advantage um you know because their their defense mechanism is they know they can outrun anything anything they can outrun any predator that they've come across and so because of that they're not afraid to walk up to something you know i Again, I, I I've never pulled it off, but maybe you you know do, do you have any experience with that where you're you know getting them to come in and be curious? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll touch on that in a minute. Let me just finish up what I was sorry, saying about the sorry. with the truck. No, it's all right because uh, it it leads into it. And, and what what we've done in the past is you know I'll drop a guy out in the truck and have him walk beside the truck until we get to a spot where there's cover. Yeah, and then the guy slips into the cover and then. We continue on with the truck, just keep, you know, keeping the antelope's focus on the truck and that allows a guy to, to, you know, to slip in a little bit closer and make a shot or, 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 you know, walk them right up to almost to range, then you don't even have that problem. So that's one of the things if for a guy that's just not physically you know, up to the challenge of, uh, of climbing up and down the hills and covering a bunch of country. That's a good way to, that's a good way to get them killed. I, like I said, I've done it. I've done it twice with my father-in-law now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, as far as decoys concerned, I don't use decoys. Um, I have, I, I shouldn't say I don't use them. I use them for very specific things. Um, one, if like, let's say I have to cross a big expanse, and I'm just trying to get from one like hill or one cut, one source of cover to another. Sometimes I'll pop it up and I will just walk behind it so that I'm not alerting them that there's a human close by. Um, but the curiosity thing. So one of the things I, I where I've had success with, with bow hunting and slip spot and stuff with a decoy, excuse me, is that if I'm hunting with a partner, so another instance with my father, one of the times he did crawl in his hands, him and Levi, my cameraman, 
they did a 150 yard crawl in this ditch and they got to a point and they were still about 40, 50 yards out of my father-in-law's range. He can only shoot about 60 yards. So they were, the, the, the buck was about 110, 100, 100, 110 yards away. And what I did was I stood up about two, 300 yards behind them with a decoy. And what did that do? That made that buck get curious. And he walked forward another 20, 30, 40 yards close enough for my father to shoot and miss, but it, you're not going to be able to, and I shouldn't say, cause it happens all the time. Guys use it all the time. If you have the right situation and you're hunting the right areas where they're, there's a lot of um, competition for does where their buck to doe ratio is very close. They decoys work great. Come in blitzing after a doe decoy. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I don't hunt areas like that. I mean, I hunt literally, I hunt in units that I can draw a tag every year in Wyoming or South Dakota. Um, and anyhow, so, but they will be curious enough to get, they'll walk a little bit closer. And I've done that with a white t-shirt. I always tell guys, I say, wear a white t-shirt underneath your camouflage. That way you can switch to it if you need to. Uh, but I've never had had it where it worked where i was the shooter and i was doing the decoy yeah it kind of works like you know like elk hunting buddy calling having a guy calling behind you to kind of draw them to you or closer to you or past you whatever um it works like that for me um you know both a white t-shirt or decoy and i i'll use like a montana decoy because it's easy just fold it up keep it in your back but yeah exactly yeah have you ever used or seen someone use a live decoy like another animal that they have a horse or something yes yes um i have a buddy of mine in wyoming that does all spot and stock hunts with horses that i got tremendous success at it i personally have not done it i'd love to do it um but I haven't had the opportunity to do it yet. I, you know, I just, I was thinking about Nevada and unfortunately we're overrun with wild horses. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you have maybe some down in Arizona. Um, oh, we got a crap ton yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you need more, we can send you some, but um, <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we, re- so, and this is kind of a little different cause it wasn't a horse. It was a llama, but, um, we do our llama rentals and we rented them out to one of our, our good friends and he had killed a bull, um, on a, a you know, a back country archery elk hunt. And he also had an antelope tag. Um, I think he's in Wyoming and mm-hmm. it opened kind of same time or a little bit after his, anyway. So as he was done with his, uh, elk tag, he was coming back down into the Valley where his antelope tag was. And he had our llama. And I guess he pulled that llama out of the, one of the llamas out of the trailer and mm-hmm. found a buck, an antelope that he was going to, and started walking out with this antelope or this llama. And he's just kind of behind, you know, this is typical uh, Jeremiah Johnson and just as smooth as can be, um, you know, ease that, ease that bow off the kind of the front end of that llama um, and was able to get, you know, I don't even know how close the shot was, probably 60, 70 yards or whatever. Um, that's awesome was able to pull off a shot with a kind of a live decoy what um speaking of that what would you say 
if you're going to spot and stock antelope uh, with a bow, what would you say is an average shot distance to be prepared for realistically? Realistically, the closest shot I've ever had that was spot and stock was 60 yards. <sighs> My furthest shot I've ever made was 97. So you can do the math but, right there in the middle, maybe around. Seven, yeah, I would say, I would say every other one of them was, yeah, I was gonna say every other one was killed like 75, 80. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, if that's, that's, it, it's, it's a sensitive subject with a lot of guys. Yeah. It's, it's not it's with not me. It's not for everybody. Yep. It, it's not with me. I, I have no, uh, you know, it's, because the problem is I don't know. I don't know how often you shoot. I don't know what your equipment is like. And so, unfortunately, you know, it's not yeah. – I can't sit and tell a guy. But just just be prepared to, uh, you know, to maybe take a little bit longer shot than you would on, you know, say a, yeah. an average mule deer stocking a mule deer in his bed for me might be, you know, 35, 40, 50 yards or whatever. Um, yeah. Probably going to be a little, little bit more stretched out with an antelope. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while you'll get a you'll get a layup. Um, and, and, and funny, believe it or not, those are the ones that I've I've missed. Um, <laughs> it's because you know they're bedded directly underneath like a cliff edge or whatever, kind of laying the shed you uh, shade you in their cut, and you know you got a straight down shot, thirty yards, whatever, 25, 30 yards, and Funky yeah, or yeah, I, um, I've blown those, but. Honestly, like, just know your limits, and if you're if if you're gonna do it, spot and stalk. Uh, just know you're gonna have long shots and be practiced at. I mean, like, I live and breathe it, you know. So people say, "Oh, you're still unethical and this, this and that." I'm like, you know what? I I've killed more animals at 70 80 yards than i have at 20 30 yards and my unfortunately i've had a few that i've wounded and i and whatever but i can tell you right now i've only had two animals that i've wounded when i've shot at long distances and i've had probably three or four times that four five maybe five times that at the 20 30 yard mark yeah so it's well i mean i it's i I can tell you stories about you know an elk hunt uh elk shots at you know under 20 yards that uh you know end up getting wounded and get away and so it's just you know and and i don't care who you are if you've hunted very long you understand that you know the the mature mature hunter understands that it happens and uh and that guys you know generally speaking guys do not take shots that they feel um, is out of their right. comfort zone, um, generally speaking. And that's what, what else can we say about it? But, um, exactly. You feel comfortable. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but just cause I, I realized what I just said, um, may have put me in a bad light. Um, so no, I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta, I want to clarify something with a fear of sounding like a conceited bastard. Um, I've killed over 150 animals with my bow and I've, I think to date I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but I think to date I've wounded 10. So I got a fairly good record, um, you know, for 
wounding to wound to kill ratio. Yeah. Um. So I I I I I just I like people to understand where I'm coming from. Not that I'm just this, you know, redneck hillbilly running around just whacking anything I see and pick, shooting from pick, the truck picking and up your taking, bow. Yeah, picking up your bow on you know August third and going out and hunting August fifth or something. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. You you, you kind of subtly mentioned something that I want to touch on real quick, and then I um, I want to um, something that just popped into my mind that we didn't have down on our notes was uh, kind of the meat care, and then we'll wrap this up. But um, you mentioned when you're stocking in on something coming in right behind them, and mm-hmm. I, I I just think it's we we don't need to really I don't even think discuss it, but it's just important to to um, to point out that antelope unlike even a mule deer or an elk they are they're literally built to almost see 360 degrees and if you look if you look at the way their face is structured and the way that their eyes almost bug out and they're on the side and they bug out even from then um i i don't know someone smarter than me will know what the kind of the radius is there but I'm telling you, it's it's as close to 360 degrees as probably an animal's going to get. Um, yeah. And so you've got to keep that in mind. I want to say you have between 50 and 50 and 60 degrees of window. Yeah. yeah. That's so about it. You know, they they've probably got like he's saying they've probably got a 300 degree radius there, uh, mm-hmm. give or take. And so you have got to be. Um, and, you know, and then if they turn, uh, at all while you're on the move, uh, that's, you know, a mule there, you can almost, you know, you can, if, as long as he keeps looking away from you, you can walk up right behind him, um, and, and kind yeah. of be out of sight there. But, um, so just, just touch on meat care, um, because obviously antelope hunts, uh, it's hot and yeah. antelope meat kind of has a bad rap. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time eating it, so you know, I don't have an opinion one way or the other that it's the best or it's the worst. Um, but just kind of talk about what you do to take care of the meat um, and, and how important that is to get it out of there and get it cooled off. Yeah, luckily from like all like the way I hunt, I'm fairly, fairly close to, you know, within, you know, an hour or less of the truck at all times. Um, so it's really not that huge of a concern. I I try to break them down. I lay, lay them out on big sagebrush as I'm breaking them down, like piece by piece, just kind of get them, you know, air flowing around them, filming game bags. And I, I help them back to the truck and get them on ice as soon as possible. Um, like you said, cause it's hot. Um, really there's no, uh, there's nothing real different to them than a deer, you know, as far as breaking them down. Um, cooking them eating them i do all my stuff like i i try to marinate and i like to use a lot of citrus stuff um because they tend to be a little bit more lamby goaty type taste um and depending on what they're eating especially if they're primarily eating sage or they are sagey tasting um you know it's it's not my favorite day meat I'll be honest with you. Um, and mainly cause I, I don't like those lamby goatee tastes. I like, I don't, I don't eat lamb, you know, I don't buy Starbucks lamb. I won't eat it in a restaurant. Um, so and it has a real distinct flavor like that, 
but some people love it. Like, you know, some people, if you enjoy that strong meat taste, then they're, they're excellent, and the, you know, candidate for you. Then. Yeah. And, and that's what's funny is, you know, I kind of hinted at that and you just mentioned it. Like there are guys that will sit there and tell you straight to your face, like, Oh, antelope's my favorite meat. And, and, and my couple questions for him is like, well, you know, first of all, have you had elk? You know, have you, have you, have you eaten the backstrap of a bull elk? Um, and, and second is maybe they're hunting antelope. Um, you know, I, I've got a, a good buddy. He's been on the podcast actually, um, in Northern Nevada and he's got a bunch of antelope that come into his alfalfa farms. And like, I, I don't know, maybe the guys that love antelope are, are uh, getting them out of an alfalfa field, you know, where they're not eating as much sagebrush or probably any sagebrush for that matter. And maybe that makes a difference. And I don't know, I'm probably guys, some guys probably cook it wrong. Uh, some guys have some secret recipes, but I don't know. I still find it hard to believe that you could beat a yeah. elk backstrap from the high country. So <laughs> I don't know. I think with most game meat, um, especially with antelope, people overcook it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're overcooking game meat, it's good. The more you cook it, the worse it's going to be like tough. Well, it's going to be tougher. It's going to be gamier actually. Same with a a Um, beef steak, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, okay. But, uh, just wrap up here with some, maybe just some overall common mistakes. You know, we, we talked about a lot of what you do, but, um, maybe just touch on, some of the some of the pitfalls, some of the just common little mistakes, real quick, um, of what what guys can uh, avoid. Well, I think the number one, and I touched on it a touch, uh, was uh, they they treat antelope like deer and elk. You know, they're not. You gotta you gotta remember that they are. Most animals are, you know, highly reliant on their nose and then their ears and then their eyesight, where it's the opposite. They are super dependent on their eyesight. Their hearing's fairly good, but where you hunt them, it's mostly, you know, super windy most of the time. And that masks your sound quite a bit. Uh, And their smell's not great. I mean, it's good, but it's not great. Uh, and I, I've, I've very, almost never really pay attention to the wind unless it's a direct, like it's going directly from me to them. I, if it's kind of like, yeah, you know, they're going to catch some of my scent cone by the time I get over there, I don't even worry about it. Um, so I think guys concentrate on it too much as like deer. Oh, I gotta, I gotta have the wind perfect. I gotta have, you know, I got to slip in there quietly where I think you got to be really concerned about their eyesight yeah. on your approach and get in there quick enough. Um, the other thing I see is guys wearing shiny camo. Uh, <laughs> and I wear, I wear Sika. Okay. And Sika is as shiny as F out in the, in. So what happens is, and you don't really notice it until you're, you're spotting for somebody else guys crawling around through the sagebrush and you're like, what is that mirror that's down there? And it's not a mirror. It's literally your buddy's back crawling through the sagebrush, reflecting sun. And that cues antelope in that something is wrong right away. Um, so I stopped wearing any, 
you know, I'll wear my merinos, even though it's blazing friggin' hot out there. I'll wear my, you know, my sick of merinos or, or, uh, hell, most of the, most of the antelope, if you see my old videos, you go on my YouTube and see my old videos, or, uh, I have quite a few antelope hunts on there. I'm wearing your $15 Walmart cotton, you know, max four camo. I, I mean, because it's the least reflective out of all. I, I, I noticed it, you know, guiding my friends and my cousins and stuff like just glowing out there. And, it, and I put two and two together and that's, that's been a, a huge factor in us being able to get close enough, uh, spot and stock to make a shot. Yeah. Um, lastly, I think guys don't prepare themselves one, like we talked about a little bit to make longer shots, but also to make quick shots. So if you're going to spot and stalk an antelope with your bow, you need to be able, and even with the rifle, a lot of times they don't give you a whole lot of time to sit there and oh, only go through moving. all my, yep. yeah, let me go through all my steps or, you know, they're in a, in, in a big group of does or whatever. They might be interacting moving back and forth. They're not going to give you a hold. They're going to stop for like five, 10 seconds and either be, be made, you know, be prepared, uh, be prepared to make the shot or not. Well, with spot and stalk and I'll, I'll share a, you know, a story with you. I took my cousin Anthony for the first time a few years ago. And, um, like he's a great shot. He can shoot long distances, whatever, but he's not, he's not one of the guys that, okay, range, draw back, shoot. You know, he wasn't that guy. I, I turned him into that guy, but and he, he just, he had such a hard time because we stalked into so many good bucks and he had better opportunities than I had. Um, and he just wasn't prepared. You know, he just didn't have time to settle his pin and make a shot. And yeah, I think, I think it's something, you know, people are like, Oh, you practice like that. You're going to develop target panic, blah, blah, blah. To me, I think hunting is target panic. So, um, if you're not able to, you know, draw back, acquire target and shoot quickly, I think it, it ends up hurting you when you hunt stuff like that. So, well, and there's, um, there, there's a fine line, you know, with, with archery equipment of, you know, you know, th just knowing, knowing the difference between maybe a beginning archer and an inexperienced archer that, um, pulls up and launches an arrow, you know, too fast, as opposed to what you're saying is an experienced person or someone who's completely under control, but being able to pull that bow up, draw that, get that thing, find your you know, not take 10 seconds to find your peep side and get anchored in, acquire mm -hmm. your target with a pin and let that thing rip. Um, you know, that, that's, that's going to be, it, I, I honestly think that might be the most valuable thing you said is, um, that <laughs> being able to acquire that target and, uh, and take a, you know, an ethical, um, you know, under control shot. Um, but that, that's going to be the difference right. I think on an antelope. Yeah. And I think another, another thing is, is guys don't practice like, Oh yeah, I can make a hundred yard shot, but I'm standing. Yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect archers, perfect archers tee at you know on a flat ground at a target that's you know got a red dot on it, whatever. So it's like practicing on 3D targets in every position that you could possibly think of. Again, if you go look on my YouTube, whatever, you'll see one of my most fit, one of the faction things that kind of 
you know, got me into the industry is I, I was laying face down in the brush and I drew back. And matter of fact, it was on this, uh, on that big book that I shot in South Dakota, I drew back on my back and I popped up in a seated position and I shot my book. You gotta be able to, like, I practice that all the time, especially if I know I got an, uh, you know, antelope tag. Cause well, those are the things you, you gotta be able to draw and consistent. That's another thing guys make a mistake all the time is they're like, okay, I, I peeked over the edge. Oh, the buck's looking away. Then they pull their bow up in plain and their sight. Bow is t- yeah. It's bows towering, you know, two feet above their head and they're drawing back. And then they're wondering why that goat's running off yeah. before they even got the full draw because you got to draw it, you know, concealed. Well, and, and then they're, they're pulling 80 pound bow that, you know, they can barely get back, um, yeah, without making yeah. any movement when they're standing at home, you know, in their backyard. But then you get right. like you're saying on your butt and you've got to be, you know, your body's all torqued and it's, you haven't drawn your the bow old... in three days or 10 days or whatever it is sometimes. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, you know, and the bow's yeah. um, Exactly. The, the other thing real quick that came to mind, um, it's not a mistake necessarily, but it could be, um, something that I, th- I think can make the difference on those type of shots too, because what you're describing is, you know, just peeking up over the edge of some grass or some sagebrush, probably, um, to make mm-hmm. a shot, an archery shot. Well, um, I've heard Aaron Snyder talk about this. I've heard of quite a few guys talk about this. Um, but understanding the trajectory of an arrow, and especially mm-hmm. at longer distances, and understanding that, hey, if, if an average antelope shot is 70 yards, and I'm trying to peek up and I can just see the top of an antelope's a buck's back at 70 yards, but there's a sagebrush that I'm looking over, and it's you know, that sagebrush is coming right to the top of his back. Like I can still, as long as I know where that, that body torso starts, I can still launch that arrow without seeing the actual kill spot because I understand the trajectory of an arrow is going to go up over the top of it. And that's, that's probably a little bit advanced. Um, you know, not something on your first archery hunt to be, you know, flinging arrows over the top of sagebrush or whatever, if you're not sure. But, um, I, I think that might be a little hidden gem too, is, um, you know, the, the, like you said, the, the least amount of bow and your head and everything that you can have sticking up, um, and moving up over the top of that stuff. And, and that can keep you concealed a little bit lower if you can understand that, you know, Hey, I can shoot six inches over the top of that without, you know, having a right. perfect view of that, of that, uh, you know, and then that's, again, that's pretty advanced. You've got to know, you know, the size of a torso and you've kind of got to, you've almost got to float that pin, um, where you know that that kill shot is, but you know, I, I feel like a guy that has been around animals and understands, um, you know, the torso and the anatomy of yeah. an animal could do that. But that, that also comes with practice too. Like I literally, I practice with my three D's behind bushes all the time for that, for that very reason. But yeah. Don't uh, try you, it out and don't try it out in yeah. the field for the first time. Yeah, for your first time for sure. That's that's gonna be a an arrow in the bush or a wounded buck or yeah, you don't yeah. want that. Um I um you just kind of made me think of another little tidbit that might help guys out. So you'll find that you're just peeking over the top of something and you're trying to range a buck and you're not getting a range. Well, it's because your laser rangefinder has the you know laser down at the bottom turning your rangefinder sideways. Now, if it's a super steep angle, you're not going to get the right uh, calculation for 
uh, you're up and down. You're not going to get the right cut. Right. But if it's not a super steep angle, just, you know, under, I say under 25 degrees of angle. Um, I say we're not under, is that over or under? I don't know. Uh, Either way, that's <laughs> super steep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to matter that much. You that's... know, one, two yards, one, two yards, not going to make a huge difference. Um, but yeah, it, that way you don't have to pop up as high because what happens is you try to get a range and you're like, oh, I'm not getting a range. I got to get up higher and higher and higher. And then soon you're, you're not really concealed anymore. Yeah. You're a giant black blob sticking up over the head of, you know, of uh, a sagebrush or whatever. So something I've never even, I mean, as soon as you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, every rangefinder finder, the rate, the laser comes out the bottom. Um, never even crossed my mind. And, and, you know, it sounds insignificant a little bit. You know, oh, what what difference is three inches or four inches going to make? Well, that extra little movement of popping your head up over—I mean, that's it's it's all they need. I mean, that's they literally right. make, they literally make their living picking up that extra three inches of movement on top of a sagebrush. You know, when something like a cat or you know whatever's coming after them, a coyote or whatever. Um, Absolutely, that's, that's how they make their living, man. Well, you just brought up a, a very what one of my most. Uh, I don't know, not going to use the word famous, but when, you know, well-known quotes is, you know, that success is in the details. It's all those little, little details that most guys don't think about or don't have time to think about or whatever that make or break a hunt. So that's, pay attention to the details. That's perfect, man. That's why I love these podcasts. You know, if we were writing an article, something like that may never have come up or if we were, you know, and that's why I love these podcasts. Cause it just, it's so, uh, you know, it gets down to the nitty gritty and these little things, you know, we start talking and, and who cares, you know, we were trying to keep this at an hour and it went an hour and, you know, 30 minutes or whatever. And who cares? Cause yeah. that's, that's some of that last, those last things I think were the most valuable of the whole podcast. But, um, Perfect, man. I, I think that's a good spot to end. Um, what uh, I know on Instagram, you're just at John Stallone. Is there a better or a different uh, place if people want to follow along or uh, reach out to you? Yeah, um, I try to keep everything centrally located on my blog, which is johnstallone.me, M-E. Um, yeah, johnstallone.me. Um, and yeah, if you go to johnstallone.com, there's a I have a website there, but it's not the same. It's my, it's actually my real, it's an old, old website that I haven't updated in a while. So johnstolen.me is my blog, uh, or my, you know, the podcast interviews with the hunting masters. Um, I'm on pretty much any directory that you can think about or player. Um, and, but it's and like, on like I said at the beginning, I scrolled through, uh, you know, all your episodes that you have on there and I just like, I mean, it was just like, oh, that would be, that's, you know, that's a good one. Oh, that's another good one. Oh, that's going to be another good one. And so it's, I, I think it's one that, you know, guys could probably binge, binge listen to and, uh, you know, and get a bunch well, of valuable you. information for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I try. I've, 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 I've tried to make it so that it's as educational as possible, still keeping it uh, fairly entertaining. I try not to be dry. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I try to keep them as close to the season as possible, giving guys information of when they're looking for it, you know, try getting ready for hunts and whatnot. Um, it doesn't always work out that way because something will pop up that'll, you know, 
seems interesting to me at the time and I want to throw it in there or whatever, but, um, you know, and I, I, what I, what I've done and I have been doing since we started the podcast, uh, 10 years ago, um, is that I haven't asked the pro section on the, on the podcast, uh, website itself, uh, interviews with the masters.com, uh, interviews with the hunting masters.com. Um, there's ask the pro section. So guys can go in there and ask questions and I do my best to get guys in the industry on that can answer those questions for you so that I'm not answering the questions. Um, and, uh, that's kind of where most of the shows come from is from, from the viewers or from the listeners. So I should say not viewers, but, um, yeah. Super valuable, um, uh, yeah. resource there. If you want something specific asked, you know, from a specific person, that's crazy. So, yeah, uh, I I try to keep it uh, as open to the to the end user as possible. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and um, lastly, it's my uh, my YouTube. Really, um, if you you know want to see some cool hunting films and some of my really old TV shows and uh, whatever, they're they're all on there. I do a lot of my video tips on there, and sometimes we'll release a video podcast on there. And that's uh, yeah, just search John Stallone on YouTube. It should pop up pretty fairly easy. Um, but yeah, that's it. Perfect. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, sometimes I go through like a fire round of questions, man, we've covered so much stuff. Um, but I, I feel like we, we, uh, we've, we, it's just perfect for how it's ended up. And so I'll just cut to the chase of the kind of the last question. And I'm, I'm, I'm even going to modify that for you anyway. Um, but first I want to, um, give you credit, uh, first for just, you know, this was one of the fastest uh, thrown together, you know, podcasts from when I asked you and you were willing to just come on and uh, be a guest and, you know, had no reason to know who I was. And so I appreciate that. I want to give you credit for uh, just being flexible and then, um, you know, give you credit for just being a guy that makes it in the hunting industry, you know, and, and there's, there's not a, you. you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people who make an appearance that they're making it in the hunting industry. I, I, I think that you, you know, you honestly make a living doing something related to hunting. Um, you know, a lot of people get, get free gear and they're making it in the hunting industry or so they think, um, you know, and so you're, it, it seems like you're carving out a living and, um, you know, and so I want to give you credit for that. So. Thank you. I think I blushed a little bit. <laughs> well, perfect. Um, Last question that I want to ask you, and then uh, and then get you out of here is uh, is just generally why why do you love hunting antelope? Uh, mainly for those reasons that we discussed early on, because it's a numbers game. You get a lot of fun. There, it's an all day event. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna go out first thing in the morning before you know before it gets light, and I got two hours to find myself a buck bedded, and then go hang out and go back out in the afternoon. It's like an all day thing, constantly, constantly stock after stock. Like, I mean, I've, I've had days where I literally had 10 stocks, but, um, I, I think it's just one, they're cool as crap looking, you know, I think they're really interesting. They're unique animal. There's nowhere else. Nobody else is related to them, uh, in the world. Uh, they're prehistoric, you know, they've been around here longer than any other undulate, uh, and, 
yeah, it's just really, you get to see a lot. I mean, I, to me, a fun hunt is having opportunities and, and getting to experience and interacting with the animals and whatever. And you just get a lot of that. And the same reasons why it's good for a, a novice hunters, why I like it basically. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening to the finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.